The Lord be with you. Welcome back to Home Worship this week as we continue to make our way through the book of Ruth. Ruth is a curious book in the Old Testament, and it's curious because while God is mentioned, while God's invoked even, God doesn't seem to really be present in the story. As it's narrated to us, God doesn't say anything. God doesn't do anything or act specifically in the story, at least not as we're accustomed to seeing God act and hearing God speak in Bible stories. It's rather ordinary on its surface. But as we dive into chapter 2 this week, we're going to see that God might not be missing from this story after all. Before we hear chapter 2, I want to quickly recap chapter 1 and where we've been. We're introduced to a family in Bethlehem who is forced to leave for the neighboring enemy country of Moab to seek refuge from a famine. In Moab, the father, who's named Elimelech, which means God is king, dies. The two sons marry, but after 10 years of marriage to these Moabite women, they still have no children and both of the sons also die, leaving the mother, Naomi, alone, as the story tells it. Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem, having heard that God has ended the famine there, and Naomi seeks to deter her daughters-in-law from returning with her by uh, highlighting for them the absolute despair that their lives will mean as childless, widowed, foreigners. One of them, Orpah, kisses her mother-in-law, Naomi, and goes to return home to her own family to find another husband. But Ruth, the other, vows her steadfast love, her hesed to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and vows to come with her. She says this, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. As Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, the whole village is abuzz, and Naomi announces that she has taken a new name. No longer will she be Naomi, which means pleasant or lovely. She will be Mara, which means bitter. Because she left full, she says, but the Lord has returned her empty. Before the curtain draws, though, on scene one, the narrator drops a detail that seems to foreshadow something of hope for us, announcing that it is now the beginning of the barley harvest. Before we draw back the curtain to see scene two begin, let's pray that God will speak. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So come, Lord, and shine upon us that we may hear your truth and follow in your ways for the glory of your holy name in which we pray. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. Now, Naomi had a respected relative, a man of worth, through her husband from the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. 
Now Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field so that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, Go, my daughter. So she went, and she arrived, and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. And just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he said to the harvesters, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Boaz said to his young man, the one who was overseeing the harvesters, To whom does that young woman belong? The young man who was overseeing the harvesters answered, She's a young Moabite woman, the one who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She said, Please let me glean so that I might gather up grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on her feet from morning until now and has sat down for only a moment. Boaz said to Ruth, Haven't you understood, my daughter? Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Indeed, stay here with my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along after them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. And whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs and drink from what the young men have filled. Then she bowed down face to the ground, and replied to him, How is it that I've found favor in your eyes, that you notice me? I'm an immigrant. Boaz responded to her, Everything that you did for your mother-in-law after your husband's death has been reported fully to me. How you left behind your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you hadn't known beforehand. May the Lord reward you for your deed. May the Lord richly reward you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. She said, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, sir, because you've comforted me. And because you've spoken kindly to your female servant, even though I'm not one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some of the bread, and dip your piece in the vinegar. She sat alongside the harvesters, and he served roasted grain to her. She ate and was satisfied and had leftovers. Then she got up to glean. Boaz ordered his young men, let her glean between the bundles and don't humiliate her. Also, pull out some from the bales for her and leave it behind for her to glean and don't scold her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and went into town. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned she brought out, too, what she had left over after eating her fill and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May the one who noticed you be blessed. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I worked 
is Boaz. And Naomi replied to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord who hasn't abandoned his faithfulness to the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is one of our close relatives. He's one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite replied, Furthermore, he said to me, Stay with my workers until they've finished all the harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go with his young women so that men don't assault you in another field. Thus she stayed with Boaz's young women, gleaning until the completion of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story is so ordinary. There's no burning bush moment. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no lion's den. There's no being swallowed by a big fish. It's just people doing the ordinary things of life. And that's why this story is so important and so powerful. Because we don't live on the shores of the Red Sea. We don't live on Mount Sinai. We don't live in the midst of the mighty acts of God. We may have the privilege of seeing some of God's miracles, but much more of our lives are spent living in stories like Ruth. And what a beautiful story it is of faithfulness in an ordinary life and of the extraordinary impact for generations of that action. If you want to learn about faithfulness like that, that changes the world in ordinary ways, then let's look at this story together today. As it opens, Naomi is still Mara, bitter. She is empty. And as the scene opens, she's doing nothing to better her situation. She's not going out and asking for help from relatives. She's not going out to glean in the fields. She's doing nothing. She is defeated and despairing and believes that the Lord has decided her guilty and is punishing her. It's Ruth, the daughter-in-law, the foreigner, the widow, who says, well, we have to eat. So I'm going to go glean in a field and hopefully someone will let me. Naomi says, go, my daughter. Now, if you're not familiar with the process of gleaning, it's actually a way that God had made provision for the poor and the foreigners to survive within the land of Israel. If you back up to Leviticus 19, as God is giving the law about how God wants this nation of Israel to function when it gets into the promised land, God says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Harvesting grain by hand isn't the most efficient practice to begin with, but here God is telling the people of Israel to be even less efficient, that if grain falls to the ground to leave it, not to go to the edge of the fields and harvest everything and get every square ounce of what grows, 
but instead to leave it behind in the fields in order to provide a way for the poor and the foreigners, of which Ruth is both, to still, by backbreaking labor, find some meager means with which to survive. So Ruth is gleaning. And as she goes out into the field that day, the fields that surround the whole village of Bethlehem, she just so happens to end up in a field belonging to a man named Boaz. It's always important in stories to think about who knows what when. We're introduced to Boaz at the beginning of the chapter, introduced to him as a, a respected man, a pillar in the community, and a relative of Elimelech and Naomi. But Ruth doesn't know this. Boaz just happens to come out to the field that Ruth just happens to be gleaning in, and he just happens to take notice of Ruth and ask about her. He finds out who she is, and then we find out he knows her story, though they haven't met yet, obviously. He knows what she's done. He knows the hesed that she has shown to Naomi. Now, as a, as a good upstanding man, as a faithful man, we hear him greet his workers, may the Lord be with you. He would know what's required of him under the law. He would know that passage in Leviticus, that he needs to allow the poor and the foreigners to glean behind his harvesters and leave the edges of his field unharvested for them. He knows the meager reward that will come from that hard work. But Boaz decides not to deal with Ruth according to the requirements of the law. He chooses not to deal with her according to how she deserves to be treated. If you remember from last week, we're in the period of the judges, when there's no king in Israel, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And it's here, in that age, when Boaz decides to not just follow the law, but to go above and beyond that law. He gives extra instructions. He goes to Ruth and tells her not to go to another field, but to stay with his servant girls. He instructs his young men not to assault her, or as the Hebrew hints, maybe do something worse even. He allows her to use the water in the jugs that the young men have brought out into the field for the workers only. He invites her later to a meal with the other harvesters, where she eats her fill and has leftovers. He allows her later to glean among the bundles of barley, which would not have been allowed, and even goes so far as to tell his harvesters to pull out some handfuls of grain from those bundles and leave them on the ground so that she can find them and have an easier time of it. And Ruth is confounded by all of this. I'm a foreigner. I'm an immigrant. How is it that I have caught your eye and that you would choose to show me such hospitality and generosity. And Boaz says, I've heard all that you've done. He says, I've heard how you left your father, your mother, and the land of your birth, and how you've come to a people you hadn't known beforehand. May the Lord reward you for your deed. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz has heard the story of Ruth's hesed, faithfulness, loyalty toward her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
and sees it at work again in her tireless and faithful work of gleaning all day long without taking a break. And so Boaz prays for the Lord, under whose wing Ruth has sought refuge, leaving behind her own gods, her own family, her own land, that this Lord, the God of Israel, may richly reward Ruth. And then Boaz answers his own prayer with the generosity he chooses to show her and the refuge he offers to her. And Ruth goes home that night with about an ephah of barley. Now, if you're not fluent in uh, how to convert biblical weights and measures, an ephah of flour is 30 to 50 pounds. So imagine one of those big 50-pound flour sacks that people had to buy in the early days of the pandemic to have any flour at all. Several weeks worth of food gathered in one day. This is remarkable. This is the abundance of God showing up when ordinary people choose ordinary faithfulness. And when Naomi sees it, she is blown away. Where did you glean today? She asks Ruth. With whom did you work? Ruth says, I was in a field with some guy named Boaz. And it's at that moment as his name is spoken aloud, that I believe Naomi's eyes are opened. Naomi's hope is rekindled. And when Naomi sees, finally, what we need to make sure we see this week. Verse 20 says this, May he, that is Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, who hasn't abandoned his faithfulness with the living or with the dead. The man is one of our close relatives. He is one of our redeemers. Naomi was Mara. She was bitter. She was despairing. She thought the Lord had judged her guilty and was punishing her. She thought she was empty. But then she sees this bounty laid out before her. She realizes that Ruth just happened to land in a field that belonged to Boaz, who happens to be a close relative of her husband, who happens to be one of their redeemers, and who happened to be there that day to notice Ruth. We'll talk more about the idea of redeemer in the next two weeks, but uh, the quick explanation is that it's a close relative charged with doing things like buying back property that you had to sell off to pay a debt or marrying their brother's widow in order to provide for her and also provide offspring. Though Boaz is much older than Ruth, when Naomi sees this bounty, and finds out that it's a result of Boaz's kindness and generosity. Hesed, her eyes are opened to see the hand of God's faithfulness, God's Hesed, at work in all of it. She sees that this is not just good fortune, this is not just chance, this is not just coincidence, but that the Lord remains faithful and is working behind the scenes to orchestrate something Naomi cannot yet imagine. The Lord hasn't abandoned her. 
The Lord has not judged her guilty and condemned her. The Lord has not abandoned his hesed to the living Ruth and Naomi or the dead, their husbands. There might just be a way that the Lord is working out where there seemed to be no way. There might just be a future for these two desolate widows and for the family line that seemed to be cut off. Next week in chapter 3, we'll hear about the plan Naomi begins to hatch to move toward that future. But for now, I want to just think about how God is working in this chapter of the story. Because it's the same way God chooses to work in our lives. One of the ways God works here is by circumstance, by chance. How many times already have I said, Ruth just so happens to do something? Is it just chance? Or is coincidence something more? Might it be, as Naomi sees it, the faithfulness of God working itself out among us? Might it be God's providence and God's care for us? The other way we see God working is through the faithfulness of ordinary people. Through fine, upstanding pillars in the community like Boaz, as well as through racially suspect foreigners like Ruth. We're introduced to her countless times as Ruth the Moabite to make sure we remember where she's from. And yet, in both of their actions, we find God at work. And Naomi is the one who has eyes to see these things for what they are. That it's God's hesed playing out in the world. It's God's steadfast love and faithfulness, God's providence and God's care for God's beloved ones. And as we look through the rest of Scripture, we find that this is, has often been the primary way in which God has chosen to work. From the very beginning, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to till it and keep it, to join in the creative work of God and to assist in bringing this creation toward its fullness. And God hasn't stopped drafting us into God's service as he sets about the work now of restoring and reconciling all things. We're being invited to see our ordinary lives and the everyday interactions we have with one another as avenues for God's hesed to be poured out and let loose upon the world. We're invited, like Boaz, to go above and beyond the simple requirements of how we are to treat one another and choose generosity, choose blessing, We're invited, like Ruth, to choose steadfast love, loyalty, and faithfulness, to seek another's good in love above our own. And we're invited to see that simple work, work like choosing mercy and generosity for my children, even though they have spent the whole day pushing every boundary, disobeying, and making bad decisions or choosing to be helpful to my wife when it's tempting to hold something over her head instead, or finding patience for that coworker whom it is terribly difficult to even tolerate, 
or going above and beyond by rehumanizing the next person who asks for some spare change on the street and instead stopping to talk with them and find out who they are, to learn something of their story. We're invited to see all this simple work as exactly the kinds of places where God chooses to pour God's hesed out upon us and the world, as exactly the kinds of places where the hope of others can be restored, where their faith can grow, and where the world can be changed, all because of our ordinary faithfulness and obedience. This is what I think we're invited into this week. To enter now our everyday relationships and lives with the loyalty and faithfulness of Ruth. With the generosity and blessing of Boaz. And with eyes like Naomi's that are able to see the God who is at work in all of it being gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in hesed. I want to invite you to reflect on what you've heard so far, to discuss it maybe with some others now or soon, and to think about two questions. The first is, what did you hear? And the second, what are you going to do about it? I believe that learning doesn't come when we just put information in and then can recite it back out. But that learning comes and transformation comes when we put what we've heard into action. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.